0: Hi and welcome to another episode of In The Slipstream FM. My name is Brenton Ward and I'm joined with me, my co-host and the director of coaching of Slipstream, coaching Scott Charlton. How are you, Scott? I'm very well. Thanks, Brenton. So, as per uh, every other episode of In The Slipstream FM, we are here to share with you the insights and knowledge on how to run a brilliant accounting and financial planning business. So, Scott, what are we going to
1: talk about today? Look, Brenton, it's a subject very close to my heart. We're talking about value-added accounting services. So when we talk about this specific
0: topic, value-added accounting services, I would like to demystify what it actually means today and go a little bit deeper into some of the nitty-gritty things we need to do to get success from it because... There's a lot of talk in the profession about this. There's a lot of talk about how accountants, which to be honest, this episode's going to be more so for the accountant listeners. For everyone else, by all means, you will get value out of this specifically when you start talking to more of your accounting colleagues, but this one's for the accountants. Scott, the accounting profession is being told that they must shift out of offering just compliance services. Compliance is becoming a commodity, if not it has already become a commodity. So we need to look at what else we can add value to our clients and what other services we can offer. So this value-added services piece gets thrown around quite a bit but I think there's just a little bit too much murkiness when it comes to what it actually is. So Let's talk about your observations as to this topic. You work with a lot of firms at different stages. What are your general observations as to what's happening in the world of accounting when it comes to delivering value-added services?
1: Yes, thanks, Brenton. I think by and large, and there's always exceptions to the rule, and I know that there are some stellar accounting firms that have been doing this for many, many years But by and large, I think the majority of the accounting profession resemble the frog in the boiling water. Mm. Uh, As you say, that the sort of everyone knows that compliance is sort of reducing and that clients' viewpoints are changing on it. There's always just that further compliance job just to be done and and we can keep being busy. So by and large, there's a lot of avoidance of the issue, I think. And the other thing is that. There's a great tendency to do a flurry of activity, more of a one-out and not sustainable nature, that we're not actually making these things part of the furniture in the way that we do business. And by and large, our clients are blissfully unaware of our capability. And so I think there's a lot of unfulfilled potential, which, I mean, the optimist in me sort of says, look, there's just so much more that accountants can be doing in this area. So Scott, coming
0: from being a practitioner yourself, someone who's really passionate about this area of an accounting business, someone who's offered and delivered value-added services within their own practice, and now throughout your coaching journey, I would like to hear what your definition of a value-added service is. Sure.
1: If you look at it in the broadest possible sense, it's something that a client isn't already programmed to do so with a tax return they're programmed to bring in once a year they bring in the technical term i think is stuff they bring in their stuff and they sort of say look can you do it again so anything that you're actually going to proactively raise with a client to say we've seen some certain things in your situation that we think could do with some attention And this is what we would like to do. So that's where you're getting yourself out of your comfort zone and not just being an order taker and you're proactively saying to the client, we think we can help you in this area. I'd go a little bit further than to say that sort of for it to be truly sustainable, the value added services need to be a bit more defined in terms of what we're actually going to deliver and how we're actually going to package it, which I dare say we'll get into in more depth. But hopefully that sort of answers the question in general terms.
0: Yeah, it does. And I'd like to continue on with... Now that we know what that looks like, I would like to know where we start in this journey. So, for a typical accounting firm, a generalist accounting firm, so many different types of clients, I'm assuming there's many different types of value-added services. So, where does a firm and where do the partners and leadership team look to start on this journey of, well, we've got to do this
1: value-added stuff, What do we do? Yeah, look, it's a good question. I think there's perhaps a a number of avenues that we can explore. The first thing is to perhaps consider whether you're going to have some services that potentially could apply to every client. So an example of that would be estate planning services. So regardless of whether a client is a salary and wage earner or whether they're a a practitioner practice or there is a much more industrial grade business, that will apply to everyone. Sure. Alternatively, A lot of accountants have this predisposition to business clients. It's something that they find sort of more engaging and that there are perhaps more opportunities to add value to a business owner than a salary and wage earner. And there may be a drift towards looking to that area to find those value-adding opportunities. And I think overlaying that, there may be some personal interests of each of the practitioners in particular areas. So for some, it's sort of strategic personal financial advice. For others, it's helping clients to implement asset protection strategies. So some personal interest would really help because they're the things that make you explore and develop and come up with really great ideas. So follow your interests, but sort of keep an eye on where the opportunities might be within your client base. So I think you might,
0: what you might be touching on there is something that's another area of, is the coaching journey that you take your clients through and something that you're quite passionate about, and that's secret source. So before we talk about and elaborate on secret source, you might want to uh, just touch on what you mean when we're referring to secret source and uh, what that looks like in the context of an accounting business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: What secret source isn't, um, is if you're just delivering a Vin Ordinaire, same as the guy down the road type of accounting service. So there's nothing to distinguish you in any way from all of your competitors. Secret source, on the other hand, sort of says that we have some particular processes, we have some particular knowledge, we have ways in which we work with our clients, which is different that it goes above and beyond just a standard service and we can actually dial that into our client's That, I think, is at the heart of the secret source. There's various terms we could use for intellectual property and sort of thing, but I think most people relate to the term secret source. It's something that we get exposed to, and I like to sort of say, okay, well, how might we apply that principle to an accounting firm? So hopefully that answers the first part of the question, but I suspect you've got another one lined up for me. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I do, and I think it's fair to say that or even with the experiences we've had talking to firms around the table about some of the things that they're doing in their business, which they don't see as special, but it's really, really good stuff. And a lot of the times, most other firms aren't doing it. So when it comes to this value-added services piece, is it fair to say that you don't have to create this new fancy service out of thin air? You're more than likely sitting on it within your
1: office currently. A little bit of both, actually. And I think the whole journey in this area is not an overnight one. So it makes sense to actually identify some of the things that you're doing really well. So the voyage of discovery might be that you have a preponderance of a particular type of client within your client base. It may be business migrants. It might be physiotherapists or farmers that you've developed some expertise for. And it may be the elements of some secret source could be within your fingertips. So you could actually, for example, benchmark all your physiotherapist clients to come up with some insights that you can then wrap some products around And in so doing, make yourself more attractive and have more to offer other physiotherapists who you could look after. So, yep, let's look for some low-hanging fruit, often with some imaginative packaging and some articulation and developing of some, say, some client case studies and some other marketing material. Lo and behold, we've actually got something which is sort of playing to the firm's strong suits because we're already doing it. Later on, we could perhaps get more adventurous and take on additional things so that sort of there may be some services which are enhanced by acquiring some software that we integrate in Mm -hmm. how we do things. More ambitiously, it might be that we actually go and hire some specific talent to bring a capability to the firm. So there's no one set way to start the journey, but once you're on it, it'll be interesting to sort of see where it takes your firm. So let's talk about you specifically. Now, you don't just harp
0: on about the importance of these value-added services and secret sauce you've been there and you've done it. Yep. So if you don't mind, could you take us back a couple of years throughout your journey as a practitioner and how you approached this yourself and what
1: the journey was and what it looked like? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was really a road to Damascus type of experience right. that I, <laughs> I went through early on in my career. And and. I'd had the sense for a while that just doing this sort of reactive compliance stuff was not exactly what the clients were looking for. And certainly I was thinking like, is that all there is to it? So I put the Periscope up and looked around and, and I very clearly nailed my colors to the mask. In fact, I changed the name from, this is Scott's accounting firm, sort of something that said, this is very specifically, we're going to deal with business wow. clients and that was where I sort of said, okay, well, there's no turning back now. And I actually wrote to a number of non-business clients and said, I'm just not going to do your work anymore, which well, I mean comes it with you know, some fun, yeah, I'm sure uh, uh, that's <laughs> right. In the first phase of this, it was probably more enthusiasm than science. And I became very rapidly a bowerbird bird of software tools in and around business analysis, business modelling, cash flow budgets, etc. And I think Whilst this was personally fascinating for me, it really wasn't business-like enough. Okay. So the second phase was where I engaged a mentor of mine who really was doing good things in this area, and he was much further down the track. And I said, look, can come and look over what we're doing here? And that sort of opened me up to sort of like some criticism, which was probably well warranted, (laughs) but probably more what I got out of that was focus. So out of that, we honed in on some specific services that we were providing, the packages that we were going to offer, the names of those packages, and clarity in terms of what we were actually going to deliver. So we got that clarity and we started to put clients through a system that team members could actually sort of get involved with. It didn't just revolve around me and my office doing Mona Lisa type mm-hmm. stuff. It was really getting the team involved. And the team really leapt onto that and they became in, involved and could actually see the progress that their clients were making. And that was much more satisfying. So that to me was tidying up a certain phase. And I call that, I guess, business services. Yep. But my journey as a practitioner continued on beyond that. And really, to a certain extent over that period, pretty much reinvented myself as a practitioner from from being someone who was tax-focused to being much more aware of business and helping clients get much further down the track, that sort of there was another layer of beyond just the normal business maintenance, business management services to more true business development. And that was packaging up things like planning days that I would do with clients. So in a sense that sort of I developed it as we went, but those core things of analyzing, developing some plans and, and then monitoring those plans of the, the business clients, which is where I devote a lot of time in those early days. So there's a couple of key
0: words in uh, some of what you were just saying, which I want to pull out and then package into a little question. So the first was packaging, boxing up, yep. systems all of those key sort of words there, they all scream productization. Mm -hmm. So, where does productizing your value-added services sit as part of the journey?
1: I think it's actually a key part of taking your firm into this next era. So, to get very clear in terms of what it is that you're going to provide is extremely helpful for your team and it's extremely helpful when you actually have to explain to a client what it is that you're going to be doing. Sure. So let's sort of say you've done some what if calculations, you've got them excited and they're saying, okay, what's next? you don't want to have a sort of like a very sort of tortured answer or oh, we'll just put the clock on and hopefully it'll be all right. You need to say, okay, well, look, a person in your circumstances, we're recommending that you have this service and this is what it entails. So I think that's only fair to the client and it's only fair to your team that there's clarity on what's being provided.
0: Definitely. And
1: that lends itself to going back into secret source parlance, and I had my business booster package. Oh, very Uh, nice. And then when I got more advanced, it was the business enhancer package, which... Took it a little bit further than that. What I did is I had little brochures produced on that, which looked good. If I had my time over again, I probably wouldn't get so many run off because <laughs> um, invariably you want to change things. Over thinking yeah, okay, we okay, that could be worded better or we'd change it here. So I became a more a fan of a good set of folders and a quality color printer right. um, so that you could change these things as you evolved and, and improve. So very definitely, I think package provides some clarity to everyone in terms of what is actually being done. Scott, said, obviously this firm's
0: had a a lot of success. I mean, they've done it 160 times this planning day. So they understood throughout that process of how to charge and what to charge for this value-added service. I want to just touch on that topic of pricing when it comes to offering and delivering a value-added service,
1: how do you go about pricing it? Yes, thanks, Brenton. That's a, uh, a big question. And I, I think as much as I've studied this, I think it's part art and it's part science. On the science side of things, there's a couple of dimensions. One is by having a very good handle on your inputs, knowing what's involved. And I think we accountants sort of are pretty good at calibrating the number of hours that go into things. And you certainly, as, as you get into, say, with a planning day, you get more efficient with the preparation and producing sort of the post-day report. So you can actually reduce the number of hours, which that's all, all great. The art comes from actually sort of saying, okay, well, what is that worth? Which could be well in excess of the cost of the hours that goes into it. There's no hard and fast rules here. You may feel sufficiently confident to price those on a sort of like per client basis. I found it very helpful to actually set us a, a standard price as as to what that would be. And I think as I became more proficient in terms of what I delivered on the days and sort of the before and afters got sort of really a lot slicker and and a lot more value adding by themselves, I sort of was able to nudge the, the price up a little bit. The other thing that I think is Again, it's part of Scott's journey as a practitioner to learn that there might be a standard price, and then there might be variations on it. Mm-hmm. so with the planning day that there could be any number of variations on the theme depending on the circumstances so So a planning day might be that you run it from your boardroom and the client comes in a planning day might be doing it at the client's premises with members of the exec team. Or it might be sort of that turn into a whole weekend where I remember an architectural firm that made it sort of a bit of a, a family retreat. Right. So we did the contents of the planning day over the course of a weekend, and that was in in, in between sort of horse riding and all sorts of activities <laughs> for the family, which which sounds really great, but if you're standing between some like the the, one, the accounting partners and, and a family activity, like that's, that's not a good place to be. But the point is that by offering sort of some of these alternatives, clients could actually sort of say, oh, well, look, yes, we can do that plus that other bit. Then with a very little increase in your inputs, the output and the, the price attached to that could be a lot higher than the standard thing if you're just delivering in your, your boardroom. So I think that to some of Up. I think it's very good to have some standard prices, but be alert to opportunities where you can actually sort of add another layer that the client would find useful and price that accordingly.
0: Okay, so there's no doubt that value added services, developing them and delivering them, needs to be on every accounting firm who wants to grow radar. We've got identifying what our secret source is, we've got how to productize and package and systemize that so we can deliver something consistently and with leverage and scale. So I wouldn't mind touching on some of the detailed experiences that you've had with firms who are doing this really well. So do you have an example of a firm who were, say, maybe a traditional sort of firm who have made that decision, the process they've gone through to develop their value-added service and some of the results they're getting from
1: it? Yes, absolutely. I can't take any credit for this practitioner's <laughs> journey, but it's a sort of a rural Australian accounting firm that selected a term that they use, which the reason why I've followed this so closely is is it was something that I too did in my firm is, is the concept of a planning day. And I'll come back to sort of the conversation that you have in terms of interesting a client in undertaking that process. So, the planning day it actually can be formalized in terms of what happens in the lead up to the day what happens on the day and what happens after the day and this accounting firm has turned it into its art form i spoke to the principal of that practice maybe 12 months ago and he said that he had actually done this with 160 Plans. Wow. So that's actually going beyond just sort of tinkering and running planning days is now, dare I say, a core competence of his firm. So it's permanently sort of in the DNA. And in fact, this practitioner shared that he's since opened a second office, and this second office. All that they're doing is planning days. They're not actually doing traditional accounting really? services out of this other office. So, bravo to that practitioner in terms of what he's achieved. That is brilliant. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So, what I've, I've found in having that service up the sleeve, so to speak, that when you're talking to a client, and this is really for business clients, or if you've got sort of, say, medical practitioners where there's more than just a practitioner and a secretary, but where there are complex business issues, in the middle of a conversation, and sort of like you've, you've, everyone's been engaged in this thing, and generally I'd say, look, I think what we need to do is take time out, and why don't we set aside a planning day? And it was kind of like this little light bulb <laughs> went on that people go, that's exactly what we need. And that we'd sort of say, okay, well, you got your diary there. Let's set this aside. So in actual fact... The sort of the broaching of it would flow very naturally, and it helps, of course, if you can then quickly follow up in terms of an engagement letter to say, Okay, look, this is what we're going to do, these are the things that I want you to prepare for, these are the things you can expect out of it, and this is what your investment will be. So, if you've thought about that to the stage that you can deliver it pretty quickly, then business planning days can flow pretty happily from that. That sounds like a very successful venture that they've been on, that's for sure. Yeah. My, my word, and as good as they are in it, I, I mean, I dare say that it's well within the scope of a lot of listeners to this podcast to, to do something similar or or use that as inspiration to develop their own value-adding service. So Scott, that's a really, really good example of how to roll out
0: a successful value-added service. I'd like to finish up with a question on uh, some specifics which you think firms can can take in terms of steps they can take to start their own journey into this world of value-added services or advisory services. Where are the quick wins had? What can firms be doing to really get some runs on the board straight away? What I would do
1: would be to, I mean, this may not be physically, but if you pull out all of the invoices that you've issued to clients over the last three months and look at those and see, okay, look, other than just the bare minimum that we have provided for clients, what are the sorts of services that we have been providing? And perhaps there are some patterns there that maybe there's half a dozen cash flow budgets or perhaps there's three family planning meetings that we've had. What are those things? And of those things, is there something that we like to do that clients have appreciated that we've got good recovery on fees from? And perhaps that actually might give some suggestions in terms of services that we could, with a little bit of work, package up and promote more widely. Great, Scott. It's
0: Is there any resources that you've developed along your journey that the listeners may be able to reach out and ask you about or pick your brains or you might be able to even slip them a couple of templates or guidance their way?
1: I'm a great believer in client case studies. It is like the go-to marketing mechanism. So I would think that the way to actually promote your services to clients and I mean, if you're a little bit, I guess, hesitant in terms of raising these things with clients proactively, it's so much easier if the clients say, I've read this client case study about sort of client that you helped. It sounded like, like me. Could I have one of those two, please? <laughs> that, that is, a, it's a much more elegant solution so that, I mean, most accountants sort of when they start this journey would far rather run through a burning building than actually sort of wake up and think, oh, today's the day I'm going to sell Fred on doing a business valuation. Sure, It's it's, it's just difficult. But where Fred actually comes in and says, look, I, I can sort of see that you've done some business valuation work. I think I need that could you help me that the conversation is different in that the accountant is able to slip into problem solving mode and away we go. So I think developing some case studies based in and around what the sorts of services you'd like to provide is a good start. Now, in terms of resources, we actually have the Slipstream Coaching Guide to Creating Client Case Studies. Brilliant. Uh, and and, and so sort of like, think from the very first page, I've got Scott's magic formula to producing a one-page client case study, which is pretty compelling marketing material. So you don't need to spend a lot of money. You don't need to stand in front of a video. You don't need to engage an expert who's going to cost you thousands. You can actually produce this stuff Put a little tab on your website that says client case studies or client case stories and start promoting yourself. And that might be a way of opening up a whole lot of interesting conversations with your clients.
0: Scott, thank you so much for sharing the insights. I know there's a lot of listeners who wanted to get some really key pieces of advice in this area because it is something that to, it's like the just go and do that. And it's it's not, it's a fairly big beast to unravel and to really put the process into place to get the success from.
1: Absolutely. But the longest journey starts with the first step. And what I have found is that every little bit I did in in my journey would open up a door even wider and that sort of it became the catalyst to grow my accounting firm and my clients developed along with me and that was really quite rewarding to help them on their journey so I'd really encourage accountants to investigate this and to tackle it in a very purposeful way and know that it just doesn't rely on natural brilliance of the partners producing Mona Lisa's that you can industrialize it you can market it effectively and you your clients and your team members will all enjoy what happens from there great thank
0: you again scott i'm sure everyone's got lots out of this podcast if you'd like to get in touch with us please feel free to follow the links and the prompts below we'd love to hear your comments and feedback on the topic and happy to help wherever we can so thanks again scott really appreciate your time my pleasure